Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm really excited that you're here as today we're going to be bringing a new segment to the pod, What Are You Reading?, where we unpack something NHL or hockey related written elsewhere and related to what's going on with the Sabres. I'm really excited to get a little nerdy with this. Before we begin, though, I would like to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W, and you can also email us at ickgawpod at gmail.com. We don't have any questions from listeners this week, but we'd love to address your specific questions in the pod next week, so please feel free to shoot them in and tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. All right, here we go. Guys, welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we're going to be talking some NHL development paths and the growing role that college programs play in that development in the NHL. In part two, we'll be reviewing the Sabres' fixtures against the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks to end their West Coast trip, and we'll also take a quick look to their next home fixture against Montreal and a Saturday outing at the Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll close the show in part three by talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester and around town in the league. So we're going to move to a new segment in part one called What Are You Reading? in which I'm going to unpack something hockey-related that I found interesting this week, talk about how it relates to the rest of the league and how it relates to the Buffalo Sabres. And this particular article comes from the Sunday New York Times on October 21st, and it is titled... To reach the NHL, stay in school, and in parentheses it says, including college. And the article discusses the growing presence of NCAA alumni alumni, on the ice, on the bench, and in the front office of NHL teams. And it overviews the fact that this wasn't always the case. Um, Before we get going, I I will say that it is the New York Times, so it is a little Ranger heavy. um, But there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. for all NHL fans, and specifically a couple couple Sabres figures, past and present, are mentioned, um, as we'll get into in a second. Um, but the article opens up talking about how, quote, when the season began this month, the league had six new coaches, four of whom played NCAA hockey. And two of them that are mentioned specifically are Dallas's Jim Montgomery um, and the Rangers' David Quinn, who coached at Boston University. Um, and you will maybe know David Quinn's name as that he was the Boston University coach when Eichel was there, along with several other um, Boston University graduates on the Sa- or in the Sabres program that we'll be talking about in a minute. Um, now it mentions 9 of 31 NHL coaches are former college hockey players, including Mike Sullivan, who won the Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016-17, and 12 general managers have roots in college hockey. According to the database maintained by College Hockey, um, College Hockey Incorporated, sorry, 
about 300 former NCAA players are employed by the NHL teams as coaches, executives, and scouts. And so this wasn't always the case, and it specifically mentions the 1960s when a character by the name of Tommy Williams was the only former college player in the NHL. And so there has been just a rise of, obviously, coaching staff with college backgrounds, but also players with college backgrounds, as we'll overview in a second. And the article moves on to talk about just various players that played under David Quinn. Obviously, this is a Rangers-focused um, article. Well, not Rangers-focused, but it's it's in a Rangers-associated paper, essentially. And so it talks a little bit about David Quinn pretty extensively and the Rangers pretty extensively. But it talks about how, quote, Buffalo's Jack Eichel, Boston's Charlie McAvoy, and Arizona's Clayton Keller, and Minnesota's Jordan Greenway played for Quinn at Boston University before he took his post at the Rangers. And it also just talks about just the rising demand for college coaches. Uh, the game has become more technical and faster paced. And there's a recent emphasis on offense, as you know, with a current de-emphasis on fighting. Um, and it created a more of demand for faster skilled players. And college hockey was um, increasingly producing players of that ilk. Um, it does move on to talk about how uh, Dave Taylor, the St. Louis Blues vice president for hockey operations, says that he remembered when the NHL did not embrace NCAA alumni. And even though he led the nation in scoring in his senior year at Clarkson, he barely received an invitation to, uh, to training camp with the LA Kings, despite being drafted in 1975. Um, he was a five-time All-Star with a 17-year career, and Taylor became the first former college Olympian to top 1,000 points in the NHL. And so obviously he was an incredibly gifted player, but as an NCAA product, he wasn't valued very highly. That was before the Miracle on Ice 1980 Olympics in which the presence of obviously um, several college level players beating that Russia team, but also the presence of coaches, particularly Herb Brooks, whose name you will probably remember, and Craig Patrick. And after that victory, there was a rise in the level of college background coaches going into the game, including Brooks and Patrick, who became associated with the Rangers. Uh, discusses in 1987, the Devils hired a Providence college coach and athletic director named Lou, Lou Lamorello. You might recognize that name to be the president and general manager. Talks about how um, Bob Johnson won his third national title at Wisconsin and was then hired as the coach of the Calgary Flames. He didn't win a cup there, but they, the Flames won a cup shortly after he left. He was then eventually hired by the blanking, sorry, Pittsburgh Penguins, and they won their first Stanley Cup that following year in 1991. Um, so just an article discussing the emphasis on or the growing level of college-level players, but specifically the focus on college-level coaches um, coming into the NHL and playing roles on the ice, on the side of the ice, and in the front office. And I, I wanted to take this a little bit. Oh, before I move to the next part, let me say I'm going to tweet out the link to that article, and I will also post it in the show notes. It is the New York Times, so I think you can only read a certain number of New York Times articles, but I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to find it through other some other means as well. I wanted to look at the Sabres and talk about players with and without college backgrounds in the current um, current program. 
And so I'm just going to cruise through players with a college background. And this is NCAA and other forms of college hockey. I didn't separate them as this this article doesn't separate them either, but really specifically focuses on the NCAA. So I didn't make any distinguishments here, but I did distinguish players who had other backgrounds of development, as we'll talk about in a second. But players with a college background, um, Jack Eichel, Daniel Reagan, Brandon Hickey, and Evan Rodriguez all have a background with Boston University. If you're familiar, you know that Eichel, O'Regan, and Rodriguez sorry, all spent a lot of time playing on the same line. Um, Ocposo is from University of Minnesota for about a season and a half, I believe. Connor Sherry was an undrafted free agent out of Massachusetts. Tage Thompson, University of Connecticut. Casey Middlestat, also University of Minnesota. Sean Malone went to Harvard. Uh, Andrew Ogilvie was from Notre Dame. Uh, Jake McCabe, Wisconsin. Jack Doherty, also Wisconsin. Casey Nelson, Minnesota State. Carter Hutton and C.J. Smith both have backgrounds at University of Massachusetts at Lowell. And Will Borgen has a background at St. McLeod. Um, all right, moving on to players with uh, development programs outside of the NCAA. We've got three uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League development paths. Uh, Jason Pominville, Nathan Beaulieu, and Marco Scandella. We've got a plethora of OHL development path. Uh, Reinhardt, Bogosian, Nylander, Remy Eli. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, he played in the OHL with Connor McDavid, uh, Jeff Skinner, and Justin Bailey, and Kale Picard, who we'll talk, not Kale Picard, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Um, Kale McCarr, um, what is his name? Madish Picard um, is in the OHL as well. Uh, Brennan Gooley played in the WHL. Sabatka played in a Czech league. Girgensons played in a U.S. hockey league, but not one officially associated with a college program. And then every other Swede, Larson, Berglund, Pilot, Asplund, Olofsson, Dahlin, and Allmark played in some kind of Swedish league in some capacity. Some of them in the actual Swedish hockey league, um, some in some other type of development leagues or other leagues in Sweden. A um, couple takeaways from this. Um, number one, the only American player who does not have a college hockey background is Justin Bailey, who played in the OHL, which I found pretty interesting. Something else that was interesting is that Nylander is the only Swede who didn't play in Sweden the year before being drafted and or signed. Um, his brother, William Nylander, did play in the SHL in 13-14, but Alex um, specifically played in the OHL for the uh, Mississauga Steelheads, where he actually had a pretty productive season the year before he was drafted. He is also kind of a weird situation where um, he was born in Canada, but still played through several Swedish development programs, but then eventually selected the OHL in Canada for development. Just kind of an interesting path on Alex Nylander. Um, Madish Picard is an interesting one because he was previously committed to the University of Miami and to play in a college hockey program, and then eventually, kind of last minute, determined that he was actually going to turn out for the OHL team that drafted him. Um, something kind of interesting that he had a choice between both paths, and he was set to go on either path and chose the OHL instead. Something kind of interesting. There is something that I found kind of interesting just about um, rules and regulations. Obviously, NCAA is college-age kids, um, but you can start playing the, in the OHL at 16, which is obviously before a lot 
or most players would attend college. And I wonder if the aspect of a program like that that allows kids to enter this level of play that young is more appealing for development programs for a lot of players. Um, I'm also in another life, a really big soccer fan. And there are a lot of folks talking about like American development um, that bemoan college soccer programs because in that sport specifically, the best years of your development are between the ages of 16 and 20. And if you go to a college program that is focused on winning rather than focused on your development, by the time you come out at 22 to be drafted into the MLS, it's too late. You've lost out on significant levels of technical um, technical and intelligence development that can really only be honed at ages 16 to 20. Um, I don't know. I don't have the experience to say that um, that makes the OHL more appealing because you can enter a strictly development league at age 16. Um, I mean, every player who plays in a college hockey program has probably also played in some other kind of development league that's focused on that up to that point. Um, the backgrounds of all of those college players are very complex. Like Casey Middlestat specifically played for his high school program, but I'm pretty sure that Jack Eichel did not. Um, so just interesting notes about where players came before this background. We're also talking about, especially um, with our, our big guns coming out of college hockey programs, Eichel, um, Akposo, Casey Middlestat, they only played one year. Um, so I think the significance is not like how much development players had at their college hockey programs, but I think the significance is that, um, teams are okay with saying, yes, go play that year at university of Minnesota rather than turning out for the OHL draft or some other kind of development league. And that seems to be on the rise. Um, something that I found was interesting. Again, I'm going to tweet the link and I'll post it in the show notes as well. Um, tweeted us or shoot us an email. What do you think? Um, is the rise of college programs something that's going to continue here? Um, I'm, I'd be interested to know what the makeup or layout of this would be if the Sabres didn't have such a high contingent or such a large contingent rather of Swedish players who obviously have a very unique background on another side of the globe for their development. Something that I found was interesting. Thanks for joining us for what are you reading? Um, we're going to move on to part two where we recap the last three Sabres games and the end of the West Coast trip. We'll see you guys in a second. All right, moving on to part two, where we're going to recap the last three games against the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks. And the Sharks traveled to San Jose shortly after a pretty poor performance against the Vegas Golden Knights. And so obviously, the Sabres were looking for a little bit of a bounce back in performance, but also specifically in result. And unfortunately, while there were periods where the performance was significantly better, the result didn't quite pan out. Uh, lineup news is that Patrick Berglund, who we talked about last week as being a player just a little bit on the decline, dropped out of the lineup. Um, everything else stayed about the same for this lineup, same top line. Um, things were shifted for the next line, as we'll talk about in a little second, a uh, little second, in a little bit. Um, 
Unfortunately, the Sabres got off to a rough start. Ocposo went to the box for a four-minute double minor on a high stick, and the Sharks capitalized through Donskoy. It was an assist from Carlson. Carlson whipped one in from the point. It bounced off Hutton's blocker, hit Donskoy in the chest, and it went in the net. Um, there were hints of goaltender interference, but they didn't eventually end up challenging it. It was unfortunate. One, one nothing down, two minutes in, and still on the penalty kill. Um, a minute later, Couture got in on the fun, um, just about five minutes in, and he flipped it to the top corner, and there was a good screen on Hutton, goes in, two nothing down, five minutes in. And it's unfortunate about the start and about the general just profligacy of the penalty kill because the Sabres were actually quite strong five-on-five. They looked miles better than the Vegas game, um, but it was what it was. They were in the box. The PK couldn't get the job done, and um, a stat that's kind of telling is in this first period, the shots had two shots at even strength, um, but were totally dominant, obviously, because they spent most of the period, several minutes of the period, on the power play. Um, there were some chances in this one. Eichel tried a good wraparound that tested Marty Jones. Middlestat in a late power play um, did ring one off the pipe close to the end. And there was a quick, or uh, sorry, a late scrum where Marty Jones had to make three to four saves in quick succession. But unfortunately, the period ends 2 nothing. And in the second period, the Sabres didn't look quite as good, even strength, as they did in the first period, but they did get a goal. Uh, Darlene tested Marty Jones from the point, falls to McCabe at like a rough angle, and he pitches it back to the net out in the corner. Skinner set a great screen, so Jones knows nothing about it, and it flies over his shoulder from the tough angle, 2-1. And we're not going to talk too much about the third period. I wish there were some many positives that we could talk about, but there aren't really. Um... Entered 2-1 down by just a goal, down by just a goal, but the Sharks were totally dominant um, after just their slew of power plays, and they were out. The Sabers rather were outshot 20 to nine in the third period, and they had three goals. Uh, one was Evander Kane squaring across to Logan Couture five minutes in. Pavelski got a gift after one uh, fell to him on the power play, and Couture gets the hat trick on an empty netter. We get a 5-2 loss and the first losing streak of the season, and I think couple telling stats for this one was that Sabres go 0 for 5 on the power play and 4 for 7 on the penalty kill. Just the fact that they had to face seven penalties in one game, especially against a team like the Sharks. A lot of stats flying around um, for the Sabres season after this one. After this game, um, they were the team with the lowest shots per 60 and the highest team um, face in shots faced per 60. And so they're generating the lowest number of scoring opportunities while also facing the highest number of scoring opportunities. And really, this just kind of continued the trend of how the season had gone, where there would be something to celebrate and then something that was really disappointing. And as as we had seen so far this season, um, the Sabres would start the game poorly, um, whether through the, a fault of their own or just an unfortunate circumstance, and then never get back in it. There were also big questions just about big guns not showing up. Big questions about Jack Eichel, Connor Sherry, Jeff Skinner, um, Sam Reinhart in particular, who has had a couple assists but hasn't really been doing the dirty stuff in the net that he's good at. And I mean, you look at any team around the league with superstar talent, with their high-end talent, when they are successful, it's because their big guys show up. And unfortunately, 
in the games that the Sabres had been losing this season, the big guns weren't showing up. So a lot of questions raised, and that carried into the Kings game where there was a big shakeup in the lineup. And it was um, there was a little bit of a joke going around on Sabres Twitter because this saw Jeff Skinner return to the starting lineup. Um, I'm sorry, not the starting lineup. Jeff turned to the top line along with Jack Eichel and Jason Pominville, which is how we started things last season. There's a little bit of a controversy regarding that, um, just that, I mean, a lot of folks have felt that Jason Pominville is a little wasted on that top line, or specifically that spot on the top line is wasted when being filled by Jason Pominville. But he was quite good, as we'll talk about. Second line of Connor Sherry, uh, Sabadka moving to the second line, and Sam Reinhart. Third line of Evan, Casey, and Kyle. And fourth line of Zemgis, Johan, and Patrick Berglund returns to the lineup in a fourth line role. Falling from that second line center, but given what we've seen so far this season, maybe a better place for him. Also a D-line shakeup. We saw McCabe um, jump up with Rasmus Ristolainen on the top line. Scandella and Bogosian, after Scandella had been struggling for a bit, he drops off the top pair. And Darlene paired with Casey Nelson and the bottom pairing. Um, puck drop for this one. Oh, sorry, Linus Olmark in net. Um, puck drop just a couple hours for this one. Uh, before LeBron James would make his first appearance for the Lakers. And as such, it was something kind of interesting. The camera angle was definitely set up for basketball. Um, Made it for a little rough watching for hockey. It was a little lower than we would typically be used to, but it worked. Um, Honestly, we were looking at a pretty flat affair for the first 10 minutes or so. Few power play opportunities that don't quite come to anything for both teams. Few PK opportunities that are pretty strong. And then eventually there's a scrum in front of the net after Eichel fanned on a shot. He gets a shot off. Pominville slaps at it. It ends up in the net, but nobody's really sure whether it was Pominville or whether it was Eichel. One of them was on the ground when the puck went in. Um, And you can see on the replay that Jonathan Quick is actually the one who knocks the puck out of the air into the net. Um, And so the Kings did challenge for goaltender interference, but it was awarded as a good goal. After that, the Sabres had an opportunity to successfully kill a few penalties in the first, and it was just a pretty decent effort from the Sabres. That was definitely complemented by a Kings team who really look even more uncomfortable with each other than the Sabres. Um, We talked about how um, in our preview that this was a team that maybe should have been committing to get a lean a little bit younger and a little bit faster and really doubled down the other direction by signing Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, something just kind of interesting. You could definitely tell they were really struggling in this game to keep up with the younger, faster players. Um, couple penalty kill opportunities, and the Sabres really looked stronger than um, than the the Kings. Uh, late in the first, the Kings rang just a meaty post behind Allmark almost out of nothing. It was a little bit of a warning shot, but the Sabres largely were in charge at the end of the first period. They were getting pucks to the net, trying to get that second ugly goal. They didn't get it, but it was a hard, physical, well-fought first, and they had a great start to the second as well. Four minutes in, Eichel got really shifty on the wall and sends the puck behind the net to Skinner, who glides around the back and flips it on the net underneath quick. Great skating, great goal, started by Eichel with just an outstanding effort, taking on three Kings players on the boards um, and shifting around to get it to Skinner behind the goal. Bogosian got into it uh, with Clifford 
later in the second. It was his second fight in as many games. He did um, he did drop the gloves against the Kings after getting roughed up towards the end, and it was it's kind of a funny scene if you want to look it up where he he drops the gloves and then realized that no one yet has committed to fighting him yet, um, and so he he's looking around looking for someone to fight after he drops the gloves. Something that was kind of funny. Um, it ended pretty quickly. He put Clifford on the ground pretty quickly, but he was having a really good game. He's a big guy. He was making blocks. He's throwing hits. And good on him. He's had two pretty good performances since coming back this season. Um, uh, more than two, actually. He's had, I think he's had four appearances so far this season. He's looked pretty steady in all of them, and he's looked solid in a couple of them. Um, Sabres continue a great period 16 minutes in. Uh, Skinner flips one over the goal, gets it back from Scandella, and pounds home. Just a great wraparound. He had to pay the price. He took a nasty cross-check in the back after hammering it home, but unfortunately no penalty or anything came of that. Uh, 3-0, and the Sabres held the Kings to two shots the entire period. Um, Pominville with that third goal, got his third point of the game, and it was his 700th NHL point. Um, Quick little stat that was talked about in the postgame that he's the only player from the 2001 draft to get to that quantity. Um, Kovalchuk, also on the ice, and uh, Spezza of the Dallas Stars are the others. Late in the second, Bogosian flipped it in from the boards, and Quick was screened. And it just catches just a meaty post and goes in. So it was just, it, it was great for him to get the goal, but it was really out of nothing. Like, I don't think he had any intention of scoring from that angle or that position. And it catches a meaty post to which um, Dan Dunleavy, Dan Dunleavy, we noticed over the last couple games, loves the phrase doink. And he says it multiple times after we get a post. And we got a doink status on this goal um, for nothing. Kings did add one late in the third through a power play. Um, who was it? Uh, Drew Doughty ended up screened um, in the on the power play, and uh, Doughty was able to just blast it over his shoulder. Akposo had gone to the box for an instigator penalty where he had dropped the gloves. It was kind of an interesting one because um, Casey took like a subtly nasty little boarding hit. Um, that was not called for a penalty, and Akposo was the nearest veteran, and he needed to respond, but I think everyone knows that Akposo, with his concussion situation, cannot actually fight someone, so it was, I don't remember who the Kings player was, but it was just kind of a weird circumstance where you saw Akposo drop the gloves and grab a guy to like intimate, hey man, that was totally not cool, and this is me trying to do something, but the Kings player did not retaliate in any way. Maybe have to say like, all right, I understand. Yes, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't have hit this 19-year-old kid this way. But also maybe to like accept that Kyle Ocposo is not someone you can drop the gloves with. Um, who knows what would happen to Kyle Ocposo if he took a bare-knuckle punch with his past. Um, moving on, Sabres uh, did see off almost five minutes of a pulled goalie situation. And on his second shift during that closing stanza, uh, Jeff Skinner... Um, rides a trip through the neutral zone and finishes for the hat trick. It's his fourth goal of the season. I believe it was his fifth goal, or sorry, fifth hat trick of his career. And 5-1. Uh, that's what happens when your uh, big guns fire. Eichel doesn't score, but his work on the boards led to at least two of the goals. Skinner came to life in a big way. Eichel's plus four in the night with three assists. 
Skinner is plus four on the night with a hat trick. Um, that top line dominated this game, and Jason Pominville was not out of place playing with them. And when a top line dominates a game, that's the easiest way to win a hockey game. Uh, Bogosian was taking control when the rest of the decor was a little flat, and the Sabres only allowed 20 shots on goal, which is a pretty stark contrast to almost every other game they'd had that season. Remember that stat that they were facing the most shots of any other team. Um, Excellent show, and that's what we need if this team is going to be successful. We can place a little bit of an asterisk next to it because it is the LA Kings, who are maybe one of the slowest and oldest teams in the league. Um, but end of the day, back to 500, four and four on the season. And another interesting stat: it was the first win in LA in 15 years. And moving on to our last game of the West Coast trip. The next night and Sunday on Sunday, they play the Ducks for an 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, the Ducks had lost the night before to Vegas 3 uh, 1. Something kind of interesting is that there were 10 new players in this Ducks lineup. And they had had, as we talked about in the pod, a surprisingly strong start to the season. But this was still, you had the feeling, an instance where uh, the Sabres could take it to them. Same issue with the Kings. We're just talking about a young, or sorry, an old, slow core. Um, the Ducks, really, I think their season really relies on job get John Gibson. If he goes down, I don't know that there's anything that's going to save this team going forward. Um, we had an old pal in net, Ryan Miller. Well, Ryan Miller, sorry, was in net for Anaheim. And the Sabres rolled out with roughly um, actually the exact same lineup as the previous game with that new look top line. Um, but the only change was that Carter Hutton went into goal with a back-to-back. Um, we had a solid showing through the first half of the first stanza. Ducks came out strong, but Sabres responded with some solid shifts of their own. Skinner, in particular, looked hungry after that hat trick. He was testing Miller a couple times, but no real scoring opportunities. Um, 11 minutes in, there's just something I want to mention and broke his stick on a blast, and I'm, I'm just wondering, can somebody talk to him about this? Like, I legitimately think this happens every game. I don't know if there's a stat that follows it or anything um, specifically in terms of causality that affects it, but I feel like I watch Ristolainen in a high-scoring opportunity snap a stick and ruin it at least once a game. Um, random note, Sabres had many... Um, chances but not many great chances and unfortunately with 318 in the period Anaheim gets one pitched from the far side of the point um, takes a couple maybe very small deflections and just catches a meaty post another doink um, almost an eerily similar goal to Bogosian's from earlier in the week um, the shot it was just totally not noteworthy but it was screened and it goes in and Sam Steele was officially awarded the goal uh, Sabres got a power play late in the first, and it had a little bit of a new look. Um, we had been previously seeing kind of an older model rendition of uh, Eichel, Akposo, Sam Reinhart, and then new player, either Skinner or Sherry when he was doing well, um, along with Rasmus Ristolainen. And this was a newer look with um, Skinner, Eichel, Pominville, Casey Middlestat, and Rasmus Dahlin, and they looked really good in this game. Eichel got a blast. Spinner rang the crossbar. It looked decent, but it fell flat towards the end, and unfortunately, they weren't able to capitalize. Ends one nothing. 
It's a little annoying considering how strong the Sabres were and a little concerning considering we know the history of this team so far this season and the fact that they don't get back into games when they're down. It wasn't the strongest start to the second. Um, Anaheim was really physical, and Casey Nelson got absolutely clocked when he didn't keep his head up, um, and Darlene went into the box on a holding call. The Sabres kill. Ryan Miller is still really strong. There were some scrappy chances, um, and on the end of the best one, Bogo drops his gloves again with Kessler, Third time in three games, he's dropping the gloves. I'm pretty sure you could say he won all of them, like the guy went down underneath them in all of them. Um, keeping the team fired up, I think, was mainly the main goal of that one, and, and it kind of worked. The Sabres had a long period of possession that they can't score on. Um, Ducks clear, go the other way, and Sherwood scores 2 nothing, and a massive eye roll um, in this second period. The Sabres totally deserved to be ahead of this game with their play, and we're looking at a 2-0 deficit. Um, they did get a power play, and Jack hit the post, and Dan Dunleavy calls it a doink again. Kyle Poso jumped into the play, and he just got a great goal. Um, Sam fed him from below the goal line, comes right out in front of Miller. They finally score. It's Ocposo's first of the season, 2-1. And three minutes later, Pominville and Skinner get a 2-on-1 that started from just an incredible no-look Eichel back pass from our own end. Um, sets Pominville streaking across the blue line. He squares it to Skinner, who backhands it past Miller, 2-2. And that that backhand was just an all-time highlight. You've definitely got to look that one up. Later in the period, Casey Nelson draws a tripping penalty, and pretty shortly into the power play Risto just takes a blast from the point and Reinhardt set a great screen on Miller which is something he hasn't been so great at so far this season it's good to see him in there doing the dirty work and it um, doubles off the corner of the post a doink doink and the Sabres end the period with a solid power play um, another solid power play but they aren't able to score it was really just a solid period coming back from 2 nothing, getting some of those woes um, about this team going behind and not being able to come back kind of off their chest. And I'm, and again, we're, we're talking about the Kings and the Ducks here, but this is five straight periods of pretty strong performance, and specifically in this game, coming back from a deficit, which we hadn't seen this team do so far nine games into the season. Um, third period was hardworking. It was potent, but it wasn't very fruitful. Um, after a few power plays and some good play, you could tell that the Ducks fans were just not happy with it. Um, and they were also equally unhappy with the refs. Um, there were a lot of calls that were a little questionable with possible penalties, really questionable lack of icing calls on a couple occasions. Um, so unhappy with the refs, but equally unhappy with their team which is kind of nice to see. I don't know as uh, as Sabres fans if, if we watch a lot of games where there are fans booing at the stadium and the fans aren't booing the Sabres. Um, just something that was a little new and a little refreshing. The Sabres don't do this to another team very often. This was pretty impressive. Um, Sabres had to kill one with about five minutes left. Uh, Sherry had a slashing call. They were able to successfully kill it. Um, there were some racy moments when Miller got pulled. Just some physical scrums in front of the net. <laughs> Johan Larson pulled one um, just 
before it was going to crawl over the goal line, um, and Hutton banged it clear after that. And after a quick little play, after seeing off that little bit of scrum, uh, Patrick Berglund uh, puts in an empty netter for his first of the season, and the Sabres go back above 500, 5-4 five on the season. Uh, Sabres had 45 shots that game, which was actually the highest in over a year, and it was uh, the last time the Sabres shot that high. They also shot 45 shots against Montreal on opening night of last year. Um So it's good to see a performance like this a few games into the season and not in really the one-off that we saw at the start of last season. A couple players with stock going up. Obviously, we have to talk about Jeff Skinner. Four goals in his last two games, five total goals on the West Coast trip, and he went from um, falling out of the top line and power play unit to rising back into it and becoming probably the best player on the ice in both Uh, the LA game and the Anaheim game. And this is the player we thought we were getting. Um, He's such an incredible player to watch. Uh, He doesn't even have to shoot the puck. I could watch this guy skate all day. It's not just the burning pace that he has. He's got a little bit of that, but it's the way, like, I don't think other hockey players can move their skates the way that Jeff Skinner has. Um, And you can definitely see, if you're familiar, there's a really neat uh, Hurricanes video that went out a couple years ago where Jeff Skinner talks about his figure skating background as a kid, um, and he was actually a very talented figure skater before he specifically focused on hockey, and you can see that skating ability when he gets going. It's incredibly impressive. Obviously, his stock is up. Other stock up is Rasmus Dahlin, um, gets his first goal on the West Coast trip, and he has, at least in this most recent game, supplanted Ristolainen on the new first power play line that was rolled out. Um, For the record, if he plays in the Montreal game, um, that will be his 10th game, and he will not be able to be sent down to the AHL. I don't don't think that was ever an option or a possibility. He was obviously going to stay up. He's been a contributor and has looked great so far this season. Um, But if he plays past this game in Montreal, he's staying up with the Sabres all season, which I think is something we want to see. Stock down, we've got to talk about Tage Thompson. Um, He was given 11 minutes of ice time against the Sharks, which was by far the lowest on the team, and he did not play against L.A. or Anaheim. Um, There's been no news about any potential injury situation, so barring an injury situation or just some kind of maybe locker room spat, I'm not sure. I don't want to start any... You know, any narratives that aren't there or talk about any narratives that aren't there. But barring those two situations, I think we're definitely going to see him in the AHL uh, once they once they hit the ground um, later this week. And that is just about it for part two, recapping those three games. Join us in part three. We're going to be looking ahead to the next two fixtures against Montreal and Columbus and talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester and around town in the league. We'll see you guys in a minute. All right, welcome to part three. We're going to be looking ahead at our next two fixtures and talking about what's going on in Rochester and around town in the league. Um, the Sabres, after a little bit of time off after their West Coast trip, play the Montreal Canadiens at home Thursday night in a 7, a, uh, 7 p.m. puck drop. 
And Montreal's having an interesting season because they were a team that I think we all thought was pretty committed to a rebuild. And maybe they are. But while they're doing so, they've kind of taken what maybe the best approach to a rebuild is, which is to go young and fast. Um, They're dealing with an issue with Weber. He's out until December with a knee issue. Um, That contract, that Albatross contract, is really going to bite them in the next couple of years. Remember, that contract still has eight more years on it, Um, and he's going to be out until at least December. They also had a pretty controversial trade where they traded Galchenyuk for Max Domi, one for one. Domi's looked good, but a lot of Habs fans were upset um, about just getting one for one for Galchenyuk and not trying to get other pieces. Also just getting a player like Max Domi. Um, They also drafted Jesperi Kotkaniemi with the third overall pick. And the NHL world really raised its eyebrows on this one. Um, But this one seems to be one that Montreal has gotten right. He's looked good. He has three assists in seven games. He's way faster than I think um, any average NHL fan thought he was going to be. And for 18 years old, he's playing great. Um, is he like the savior of the franchise this season? No, but they're a team that is really hurting for centers and they've got one that they can maybe lock in to be a a long-term stay in that position going forward. Um, they also in the offseason traded Max Pacioretty, so we won't be seeing him. For Thomas Tatar, a prospect, Nick Suzuki, and a bunch of picks, um, Tatar is their current point leader with eight points, three goals, five assists. They are 4-1-2 and two at the time of recording, and they play the Flames tonight. And they are currently... Oh, sorry, never mind. It's about 7-17 right now, and they don't drop the puck for about... 15 more minutes. Um, So I can't give you a live scoring update at this time, but by the time you listen, I bet you'll know the score to that one. Um, They're off to an all right start, considering that the world had pegged them to suck at the start of the season. Um, Maybe they have something to prove for the Sabres. I think the biggest question going in is that they, um, I mean, it's typically really hard to play that first game home after a West coast trip. And the Sabres are historically really bad. Um, after coming home from a West Coast trip and playing that first game at home. So I think the big question is, like, can the Sabres avoid sucking in their first game coming back East? Um, So that'll be 7 p.m. on Thursday. After that, they will get on a bus, maybe a plane, but probably a bus, uh, to Columbus to play Saturday at 7 p.m. against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And the narrative of their season, of course, is Panarin and Bobrovsky, who are both unrestricted free agents at the end of the season and have made no inclination that they intend to sign. Um, I mean, what do you do? I think Columbus, with those two guys on their team, those two guys playing well, they're a playoff team and maybe like a borderline... Not, I don't know about contender. They're missing like some other superstar talent and a little bit of depth, but incredible decor. And with players like that, like who knows? They almost, um, they were like maybe minutes away from being 3 0 up on 
the Washington Capitals last season, and then it was turned around and they lost that series. Like they 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 can burn some guys in the playoffs and in the regular season, obviously with that kind of talent. Um, but what do you do with two unrestricted free agents who are two of your star players on your team if you're already a good team? I mean, if you're bad, the solution is easy. You, you pitch them at the deadline and recoup what what you have. But if you're good. Do you pitch those players before going into the playoffs, or do you risk losing them for nothing? I mean, Bobrovsky, when he's on, is one of the best in the league, and Panarin is their current point leader. He's got three goals and six assists to start the season, and so it's just a, that will be whatever they decide to do. The decision won't be made for a while, and that will be the narrative that perennially, but that doesn't make sense, it's not yearly, that, that continually haunts their season for um, really, I would imagine until the deadline. And if they don't trade them, I would imagine it will haunt them afterwards as well. They are still currently without Brandon Dubinsky for a few weeks with, uh, I believe, an upper body injury. Um, Seth Jones is returning to their lineup this week. And remember, he was injured against the Sabres in preseason. So we'll probably see him on Saturday. They are currently 4-3 and three on the season. And at the time of recording, I can tell you now that they are one nothing up against the Coyotes tonight on Tuesday. They will also play the Blues on Thursday before they play the Sabres on Saturday. After that, uh, the Sabres are home to the Flames on Tuesday, but we'll talk about that one this weekend on our next pod. Uh, Down the road, the Amerks have won five straight, um, but suffered an OT loss to break their streak. So still on a six-game point streak, and they won five straight after losing their first two. Victor Olofsson now has 14 points in nine games to start the season. And really, after the team laid a couple eggs to start the season, that's really 14 points in seven games. Zach Redman is also continuing to be just a leadership presence on and off the ice and a point presence on the ice. He led the team in points last year from a defensive position and is currently second on the team with 12 points. Um, you'll want to know about Alex Nylander and he does have eight points, but I just don't be fooled guys. All right. He's still plagued with a lot of giveaways. Um, a lot of attacks end with him given the puck away and a lot of defensive lapses still remain. He's getting opportunities on the penalty kill, which we saw in preseason with the Sabres as well. And I think that's opportunities for him to grow in a lot of these areas. And I will say guys, he looks so much better than past years, but I, with those issues that he's still working on, I wouldn't put him in the NHL yet. In the, NA, in the AHL, you make those mistakes, all right, like people groan, the puck goes back the other way, but maybe one in five times someone capitalizes on it. You make those mistakes at the NHL, it's probably a goal. And while we are excited that Alex Nylander is taking a step up, um, I would really caution you from really wanting him in the NHL because I think the last thing we would want is to see him come up and see the fans vilify him for having issues that we are already well aware that he has. Um, On kind of a related note, um, if he does get called up or if someone like Victor Olofsson gets called up or CJ Smith has also been strong so far, 
I think the Amherst are probably going to see Tage Thompson going the other way, um, and it will be interesting to see how that pans out. Remember, we talked about his his stock is a little down at the moment. They did beat the Marlies in a shootout last Friday, um, which was kind of impressive because all three of the Amherst shooters scored, and all three of them scored great goals. Their power play is particularly potent. Uh, potent. Potent. Um, Olafson on the point, I think, is where that was going. Uh, really helps that. But guys like Nylander, CJ Smith, Zach Redman, and Lawrence Pilot, who's fighting a little niggly injury at the moment, have made that just a really strong line. Um, I think right now, watching them play in person, the, the, the one thing I think this team is really missing is just a slightly higher level playmaking center for the AHL. And that kind of talent, I think, is a little weird to come across because you, you need one who's like pretty good, but not good enough to play in the NHL. But those kind of players can transform the way that an AHL team plays. Um, ironically, I think the best one I've seen in my time um, going to Amherst games and being a season ticket holder there was Cal O'Reilly. And the reason I say that was ironic was that um, they were one of the worst teams in the league in that last season when he was there. And he eventually quit the team um, with a few months left in the season. Um, the Amherst play the Utica Comets on Friday and the Laval Rocket on Saturday. Both of those games are at home, um, and there is no Sabres game on Friday. So you should go. Um, again, they're riding a six-game point streak. They look hot. They're playing well. Um, Blue Cross Arena has been a lot of fun. Something kind of interesting is that um, I think we talked about a couple episodes ago that opening night was a little bit of a disaster from a concessions and operational standpoint. And Delaware North and the Pagulas have responded by giving um, all attendees at that game a $15 gift card. Um, so just a very nice gesture to uh, fans who were obviously very disappointed. Definitely not the way that the Pagulas and Delaware North wanted to start the season. So good offer from them. Moving on to around town, I've got a couple issues that we're going to talk about. Just there weren't really any major developments um, this week that are a lot of fun to talk about. A uh, quick little Nylander check across the pond. William Nylander, apparently there is some progress with his contract up north. Um, and the big issue with why he currently won't sign is that um, the issue seems to be that he's really worried about being traded. Um, he wants to be a Maple Leaf, obviously, as a winger who wouldn't want to play with their talent at center. But um, if the Toronto Maple Leafs don't succeed and don't find success in their current makeup, they might look to shift things up. And if Nylander signs a team-friendly contract, it kind of works both ways. If you've got a team-friendly contract, your team obviously likes having you around. But if you've got a team-friendly contract, you are also a very valuable trade asset and obviously the narrative that everyone talks about is like what if they pitch Nylander for some kind of defensive talent and that could be very likely and I think for that reason Nylander is really worried about signing a contract that makes him a valuable trade in the future he wants to stay at Toronto long term and he wants to sign a contract that's going to all but guarantee that um, these are just rumors, of course, but you might be wondering, like, well, why can't he sign a no-trade movement clause? Um, 
And the reason for that is that in the modern makeup of NHL contracts, you can't get that clause until I believe your fifth year. So he can't sign that into a contract he's going to have this year. Um, and so his worries about getting traded are pretty profound. It seems like obviously like he wants to make more money, but the reasoning for wanting to make more money isn't just that he wants more in his wallet, but wants a little security that the Maple Leafs aren't going to try to pitch him if, um, if things don't go well for them this season. So still keeping an eye on that one. No definitive progress, obviously, but it sounds like some progress has been made. Um, quick news, Ryan O'Reilly teardrop um got off the mark to for the season sorry against toronto earlier this week uh the blues have started slow but they're now kind of coming into it and i believe he also scored um against the jets last night as well so he's finding a little bit of success finding his feet down there in st louis wish him well um and last thing that we're going to talk about is just um, I mean, the name of our show is It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team, and I think we do maybe need to talk about who the new worst team, uh, who America's what America's new worst team, rather, is this year, and I think so far it is the Detroit Red Wings. Um, they are 1-6-2 and two to start the season for four points in nine games, um, and they only recently got their first win a couple days ago against the Panthers, who are also struggling for their level of talent. But we were kind of expecting the Detroit Red Wings to struggle, but we were also expecting a couple other teams like Ottawa and Montreal, also in the same division, to struggle as well. Those two teams have actually started out pretty okay, um, but the Detroit Red Wings really have not. 1-6-2 and two to start this season. All right, they've got four points, and there are a couple other teams hovering around like the five, six-point range after a couple games. But I think the really telling one is that Detroit has conceded 39 goals in nine games, which is over four goals a game on average, and they are minus 19 in their goal differential from goals for to goals against, and no other team in the league is anywhere close to either of those stats. Um I mean, last year it was all in for Darlene, which didn't quite work. The saying this year, lose for Jack Hughes. Um, it takes a couple games for, for fans of a team to really start embracing that motto. We, as Sabres fans, kind of know what it's like, and it seems like Detroit fans are going to be facing a season where, where they're going to have to embrace that as well. So welcome, Detroit Red Wings fans. Um, I, I can't say that you're going to like it here, but I, I will say that we know what you're going through. Um, so if you ever need a hug, <laughs> come on over. All right, my friends, that is just about going to do it for our episode. If you have enjoyed the show, we would so appreciate it if you would tell your friends about us and tell them to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Um, if you also enjoyed the show, we would also love it if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes to get the word out a little bit more. Remember, you can find us at Twitter, um, on Twitter at ICGAW, I-C-G-A-W, or you can email some questions at ICGAWpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Have a great week. We'll see you guys this weekend. Go Sabres. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Dick into Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo 
Drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the center lane. Score!